Awesome. Well, man, that's such a wonderful thing. Congrats to the Frazies. And, man, we just celebrate with you taking this huge step of obedience in Christ and being baptized. And, man, we just love to celebrate as a, as a church family when, uh, when anyone decides to go public with a decision to follow Christ uh, in baptism. That's a big deal. And we celebrate it and we love it. And that's a, it's a great thing. I also just want to mention to you, too, if you, are a, if you are a person that follows Jesus or if you're a person who just recently decided to follow Jesus, we know that uh, at our church together, there's a lot of people who are investigating Christ. And, uh, and some of you maybe have recently made a decision to start following Jesus. And we just want to let you know that if you are a person who follows Christ, made a decision to follow Christ, and you have not yet been baptized, uh, we would actually look and say um, that that is actually the first step of obedience. And when you look at the Bible, the pattern of the Bible is that when a person comes to know Christ, their first step of obedience is that they get baptized. And so if you've never been baptized and you're a follower of Jesus, it's time for you to get baptized. And, uh, and we want to help you do that. We want to support you and come behind you and create opportunities for that to happen. And so I want to tell you, if you have not been baptized and you would like to get connected to that, there's a couple ways you can do that. So the connect card that you have that is uh, in the chairs uh, in front of you, uh, if you grab that, there's actually a spot on there that indicates that you would like to go public in baptism. And so if you would just check that, uh, we would love to follow up with you, uh, help you get connected to getting baptized and uh, taking that step of obedience. But I also want to let you know as well that uh, we, we don't simply do baptisms here on the weekend. Uh, we do that here. That explains the horse trough that we have right here. Uh, but we also do baptisms in life groups as well. And so if you are in a life group and you haven't been baptized, talk to your life group leader, and they would love to help uh, set up and organize a chance for you to do that. But again, it is the first step of obedience for people who follow Jesus is to be baptized. And if you have never been baptized as a response to your decision to follow Christ, uh, we would look and say that that is a really important thing. We celebrate that together as a family. Hey, today we are uh, actually continuing together in a sermon series that we've been calling Unleashed. And uh, so if you are a guest with us here today, like Clark mentioned just a moment ago, we just want to extend a real special welcome to you. Thanks so much for being our guest, and uh, we hope that you feel welcome. My name is Tony. I'm one of the pastors here on staff at Grace. And uh, this series that we're in right now, it's called Unleashed. And what you might not know if you are just tuning in is that this series that we're continuing today is actually a, a small part of a bigger conversation uh, that we have been having over this whole fall semester. And so over the course of the fall, what we've been doing together is we've actually been looking in depth at this one statement that we've kind of been navigating through together. This is the statement. So if you're just joining us, this is probably new to you. Uh, but if you've been with us, you've seen this. But this is the statement that we're processing through. We've been saying that when the people of God become uncomfortable for the things of God, that it unleashes the power of God, and we get to join in the unstoppable movement of God. Okay, so this is the statement that we're processing through, we're thinking through. We've been kind of taking our time and really dissecting this. And the reason that we've been spending so much time on this little statement, we said is because this little statement is really important. And the reason it's so important is because, well, first off, it actually reflects a pattern that we see in the Bible. So when you go to the Bible, uh, if, you're, if you're a Bible person, if you've ever read through the Bible, what you'll find when you read the scriptures is that when God's people, when the people who follow God, when they deliberately and purposefully put themselves outside of their comfort zone for the things that matter to God, right? So when God's people step out in faith, we said that what happens is it actually unleashes God's power. It unleashes God's power in their life. It unleashes God's power through their life into the worlds that they live in. And we said that they get to be part of this unstoppable movement, that God is, is on a mission and that God is accomplishing a, a movement here on earth. And so here's what we said. We said this is not just a pattern we see in the Bible. We actually said that this is also an invitation. We think it's an invitation to every single one of us in this room, that if we would be willing to purposely and willingly make ourselves uncomfortable for the things that matter to God, if we would be willing to step outside of our comfort zones and step out in faith in the things that God has, uh, God cares about and God, God loves, that that will unleash his power in and through our lives and into the world we live in, and that will give purpose to our lives because we'll get, we'll get to be part of this unstoppable movement uh, that God is working on this earth. So what we're doing in this series then, uh, Unleashed, is we're actually talking about this middle statement right here. And in this part of the series, we're talking about, practically speaking, what does it look like for God's power to be unleashed in your life and through your life and in the world that you live in. Because here's what I know. God wants to unleash his power 
in your life, through your life, and in the world that you live in. But practically speaking, how does he want to do that? How does God want to unleash his power? So that's what we're talking about in this, uh, this middle portion of this series. And so today what we're going to do is we're going to talk about another practical way that God wants to unleash his power in your life, through your life, and in the world that you live in. And this is, this is what we're going to talk about today. One of the ways that God wants to unleash his power in your life, are you ready for this? Is through, this is going to be so unexpected to you, is through priests. Through priests. Uh, so today, here's the title of today's talk. We're going to talk about unleashed priests, which might sound really weird to you and might put a strange image in your mind if you think of unleashed priests. But what in the world am I talking about? God wants to unleash power in your life, through your life, in the world that you live in, and he wants to do it through priests. So what in the world am I talking about? Well, let me, let me show you. All right, so if you got your Bibles, why don't you take them? We'll spend the rest of our time talking about this idea of unleashed priests. We're going to go in the Bible to 1 Peter chapter 2. So if you got a Bible, flip with me to 1 Peter 2. Uh, if you brought a Bible with you, feel free to find that. 1 Peter is a small book in the New Testament, and so if you have a hard time finding it, there's no shame in looking at the table of contents at all. Feel free to do that. That's what I would do. And then if you want to as well, if you, if you didn't bring a Bible, you could feel free to use one of our Bibles, those black Bibles that are underneath the chairs in front of you. Page 851 is where we're going to be going today. That's where you're going to find uh, 1 Peter chapter 2. Let me just also say, too, if you don't uh, physically own a copy of the Bible, like if you don't have a physical copy, you could just take one of ours. We actually would really love it if you would just take one of our Bibles and make that a gift from us to you. Now, as you're finding 1 Peter 2, let me just kind of um, start off by saying why I think that this talk today is so important and is so worth your time, all right? So uh, this conversation that we're about to jump into, talking about unleashed priests, I think this is really, really, really important, very relevant to you and relevant to me. I actually think that today's conversation for some of us here today actually has the potential to be a paradigm-shifting conversation. That's actually what I'm hoping for and I'm praying for for some of us, that, that if you understand this passage, it has the ability to help you think of yourself and the world that you live in in a very different way. And that's kind of what I'm hoping for. And here's, here's why I think it's also significant. Because one thing that's true about every single person in this room is that all of us walked into this room today with a certain set of labels, Okay, we all have labels. We have labels that we put on ourselves. We have labels that other people put on us. And we all have a different set of those labels. So, uh, for example, maybe you came in here today. One of the labels that you wear is that you are a student, right? So maybe you're a middle school student, high school student. Maybe you're a college student, pre-med student, whatever. That is one of the labels that you wear. But it's one of many, right? And so uh, your occupation is a label that you wear. So if I was to ask you about yourself, you might tell me that you are an engineer. You might tell me that you're a lawyer. You might tell me that you're a teacher. You might tell me that you're a construction worker. It's one of the labels that you wear, right? We all have different labels that we wear. One of the labels you wear are your interests and your hobbies. Some of you are artists. Some of you are musicians. Some of you are sports fans, right? And, and some, of you are, some of us are Browns fans. That's a label that we wear for better or for worse. It's something that we wear, hopefully for better today, right? Uh, some of us are Ohio State fans. Anyone Ohio State fans in this room? All right, it's hard to admit after yesterday, but we are, right? Some of us are Michigan fans, which, by the way, if you are a Michigan fan, let me just tell you, there are a lot of great churches in the area that we would <laughs> highly recommend to you. And uh, no, I'm just kidding. Jesus loves you, and the rest of us are trying, so that's good. But, uh, but no, we all wear labels, right? We have a bunch of different labels. We all wear them, and, and that's true about all of us. Now, here's why that's so important. First Peter is actually a book. It's called First Peter because it's one of two books that this guy Peter wrote. And Peter was actually a disciple of Jesus. Even if you, you're not a church person, my guess is you've probably heard of Peter. He's actually maybe the most famous of Jesus' disciples. And so what Peter's doing in this letter is he's actually writing a letter to early Christians. Uh, this letter is a little bit different because he doesn't write it to one location. He actually writes this letter with the intention that it would have been circulated between all of the first century churches that were in a certain area. So, so Peter is writing to early Christians, and the passage we're about to read, the reason that he's writing this passage is to tell these Christians something about their identity. And so he's looking at people who follow Jesus, and he's going to say, this is the way you are to look at yourself. This is what is now true about you. This is what your identity is. This is now that you follow Jesus, this is how you are to understand yourself. 
And so he's about to write them about their identity. And Peter says something about their identity that honestly is really fascinating. I wish you notice what he says. Check this out. We're going to start off in verse 4. So Peter says to these Christians in the first century, he says, as you come to him, he's speaking about Jesus, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. I always hit pause there for a minute. Now, if that sounds confusing to you, the Bible says that we're living stones being built into a spiritual house. We actually preached a sermon just a couple of weeks ago on this passage right here. We talked about what does it mean that we're God's building and that we're living stones. And so if you missed that talk, you can actually go back and you can watch, listen to all of that on our podcast, on our app, and all that's for free. But here's what I want you to, to, to hone in on. Look what he says next. He says, you're being built into a spiritual house to be, now look at this, a holy priesthood. He says, you are a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So check this out. Peter looks at these Christians, these early Christians, and he says, I want to speak to you about who you are. I want to speak to you about your identity. And he says to these people, here is who you are. You are a priesthood. You are a holy priesthood. In fact, this, uh, this statement that Peter says here he is so important that he doesn't just say it once. He actually repeats himself again. In fact, if you glance down at verse 9, look what he says in verse 9. He says, but you are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood. There he goes again. You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. You're God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So you notice twice, Peter looks at these Christians and he says, this is who you are. This is what is true about your identity. If you follow Jesus, you are a priest, is what he tells them. Now, why is that significant to you and I, who are here in this room 2,000 years later in Medina, Ohio? Why is this important to you? Well, here's why this is important. If you follow Jesus here today, now I understand, by the way, some of you are here and you're investigating Christ and you still haven't made a decision to follow Jesus. You're trying to figure all of that out. We say this all the time. We count it an honor and a privilege that you would let us speak into that investigation. We really genuinely do. But for those of us who follow Christ, here's what this means. All right, you ready for it? What it means is if you follow Christ, you are a priest. That's what Peter is going to say about you if you follow Jesus. You, part of you, this is what's true about your identity. This is true about who you are. You are a priest. In other words, I'll put it this way. All of those other labels we talked about, uh, you're an artist, you're an engineer, you're a musician, you're a whatever. Uh, those things are labels. They say something about your persona. They say something about your hobbies. They say something about what you do. But none of those are about who you are. Those are all about your interests and your hobbies and all that kind of, but it's not about who you are. And the Bible says, this is who you are. Part of understanding your identity, if you're a follower of Jesus, is you got to understand you are a priest. That is who you are. So if you follow Christ, you're a priest. And my guess is, for some of you, when I say that, if you're a Christian, you might be saying, I am. And I'm saying, yes, you are. If you follow Jesus, that's what you are. And you might be saying, I don't remember signing up to be a priest. Like, I don't remember that, that happening. I don't remember there being an ordination. Like, I don't, feel, I don't feel like a priest. Some of us might honestly, we might look at that and say, I don't know if I want to be a priest. I don't, I don't know what that even, what does it even mean that I'm a priest? If you're a follower of Jesus, you're a priest. What does that even mean? And I think for some of us, quite honestly, we don't even know what to do with that statement. Because it confuses us. We don't know, what, what does a priest do? What does that mean about me? What does that say about me if the Bible says that I'm a priest? And I think part of the confusion with this, by the way, is that for many of us, when we hear the word priest, we, we tend to hear that through our current cultural lens. And so when we think of priest, my guess is there's certain images that come to our mind when we think of a priest. So I don't know what comes to your mind, but I'm guessing what comes to your mind, if you're anything like me, 
when I think of a priest, I tend to think of the, uh, the clerical collar, you know what I'm talking about? I tend to think of long flowing robes. I tend to think maybe, maybe what you think of is you think of like a vocational professional minister, someone who works at a church. Maybe you think of someone like me. I doubt when you think of a priest, you think of me. But that, that might be what comes to your mind. I'll tell you what comes to my mind when I think of a priest. When I hear the word priest, you know what comes to my mind? I grew up in a religious tradition where there was priests. And so that's what I think of. I think of the priests that were in the parish where I grew up. And uh, you, know, you know what I think of when I, when, when, as a kid? You know what I used to think of the priests? I remember to me, I, never, I actually never talked to the priests. I never interacted with them. Um, I didn't really know them. But I, did, I knew that they were like, they were like up here. You know, they were revered and respected. And they were very respectable guys. Uh, I remember, in, in my mind, uh, priests were guys who dressed like no one I'd ever seen. And they talked like no one I'd ever met. And, um, and they couldn't get married. And that was pretty much all I really knew about priests. So, so when I, well, I think when we read this and we say, you're a priest, sometimes we can take our cultural understanding of what a priest is. We can impose that on this word. But here's what I want you to understand. Is that when Peter says in this passage to these people, you're priests, that would have meant something very different to a first century hearer. In fact, when Peter said, you are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, and God's special possession, in the first century, these hearers who would have heard this, this would have registered with them, and it would have made things click for them in ways that it doesn't click for us. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, here's what I mean. To the first century hearer, when they would have heard the words royal priesthood, holy nation, God's special possession, what that would have done is it would have triggered something in their memory because remember, first century people would have been very, very well acquainted with the Old Testament. And with this, this wording, this exact wording, is a direct reference. In fact, it's almost a direct quotation to a passage in the Old Testament in Exodus chapter 19. So the first century here would have heard that and they would have thought Exodus 19. And what's in Exodus chapter 19? Well, what that reminds people of is it reminded them of the Old Testament priesthood. And so if you're, not, if you're not a Bible person, you might not know that in the Old Testament, the Bible explains that there was something called the priesthood. There was a, a, a group of priests that God had established in the Old Testament. And so what this means is that in order for you and I to understand what Peter means when he says that Christians are priests, that those who follow Jesus are priests, that means that you have to understand something about the Old Testament priesthood. So, so here's what I want to do. All right, for the next couple of minutes, next couple of minutes, I want to give a very high-level, 30,000-foot overview of who priests were in the Old Testament and what they did. All right, so that's what I want to do. Now, I'm just going to warn you, I'm going to need you to put on your thinking cap with me, all right, because we're going to dig into this a little bit. I'm going to try to give you a high-level overview, but I, man, I'm just telling you, you're going to need to stick with me. So uh, can you do that with me? Can you put on your thinking cap with me a little bit? I know that when you woke up today, you thought to yourself, you know what I want to do today? I want to talk about Old Testament priests. That's what I want to do. But I, I, I want you to stick with me because this is going to be something that's going to help you make sense of what it means when the Bible says that you're a priest. So can we do that? Can you guys give me some kind of vocal affirmation? Can we talk about Old Testament priests? All right, man, I knew I loved you guys. You guys are the best service ever. All right, so check this out. Old Testament priests, let's talk about this. High-level overview. So to understand the Old Testament priest, you got to start here. So let's start real basic. The Bible is going to teach us God is holy and people are sinful. All right, so you have to start here. In no uncertain terms, the Bible is going to teach us this. God is a holy God and humans are sinful. And basically, what the word holy means, by the way, it's kind of a churchy word, but holy means set apart, it means other, it means perfect, morally, characteristically perfect. So God is perfect, he's holy, right? And men are, the Bible says that they're sinful. Ever since the very beginning, when uh, humans first rebelled against God, that we are imperfect, we are sinful people. Now, here's the issue with that. The issue that that creates is that Holiness and sinfulness can't coexist, just can't. Perfection and imperfection, by definition, cannot be together. And so this creates a chasm. And so now there's an expanse that's between God and between man. And, and the problem that this creates is actually um, exaggerated when you come to the second point, and that's this. God desires, God wants to be with his people. 
So the, the resounding message of the Bible is that God loves people and he wants to be with us. Uh, all the way through the Old Testament, New Testament, the whole thing, God desperately wants to be with us. He loves us and he wants to be with us. And, and the problem is, how can a holy God dwell with a sinful people? How, how can that happen? Because whenever sinful people try to be in the presence of a holy God, you know what happens? People die. And there's just no easy and pleasant way to say it. But that explains so much of the Old Testament. So much of the Old Testament is that sinful people try to be in the presence of a holy God, and as a result of that, they, they can't. Uh, the, one of the best ways to think of this is, like, think about for a moment the sun. Right? The sun is all of its glory and all of its radiance, and, and it's just this amazing, amazing, beautiful, powerful thing. But you and I as humans, if we tried to draw close to that thing, we would burn up. Because we're finite, we would burn up. And the same idea is true with God's holiness. God's holiness is so outside of us, and we are so imperfect, we cannot coexist with God. But God wants to be with us. So that creates a dilemma. So what's God going to do? Well, the Bible says that God did a couple of things in the Old Testament. And so the first one was this. God established something called the tabernacle so that he could be with his people. A tabernacle, by the way, is a real fancy pants word. It just means tent. That's all it means. And so basically, God said, I want to live with you. I want to dwell with you. I want my presence to be near you. And so God established something called a tabernacle. He actually gave very direct orders in how this thing was to be built. Later, the tabernacle would become the temple. In fact, I could just show you. Here's a picture. This is like an artist rendition of what the tabernacle would have looked like. All right, so I don't know if you can see this, but I can just kind of explain it. This part in the middle right here. That was considered like God's room. So symbolically, that represented the presence of God. And God would dwell in this tabernacle. And this outside part right here, that was called the outer court. That was called the outer court. All right? So God establishes a tabernacle. He says, I want to be with my people. So you need, you need to set up a place where my presence can dwell among you. All right? And then the next thing God does, God sets up something called the priesthood. And he sets up the sacrificial system so that people could interact with God. So basically, God says, if you're going to be in my presence, we're going to have to take care of the sin. We're going to have to atone for the sin in your life because I'm a holy God and you're a sinful people and, we, and I, can't, I can't be near you in your sin. And so we have to do something to take care of your sin, which is why he established the priests and the sacrifices. And so people would, for their sins, they would sacrifice animals, they would go through these rituals, and it was all a way of basically saying we are atoning for the sin. They're symbolic atoning for the sins of the people. Now, when God established the priests, the Bible's gonna tell us a, a few things about the priests, okay? Now, let me just tell you, there's a lot of details in the Bible about this. I'm not gonna give you all of them, but if you wanna read about priests in the Old Testament, it's actually pretty fascinating. Exodus 28 and 29, Leviticus 8 and 9 gives you all kinds of information about who they were and what they did. If you're ever up late and you can't sleep, read these passages. It works like a charm every time. But these passages, I mean, incredible detail about what the priests did. But here's a few high-level things. First off, priests had a special calling. Okay, so here's what we know about priests. You couldn't, not any, no, not just anybody could be a priest. You couldn't just volunteer or sign up to be a priest. You had to be chosen by God to be a priest. You had to be part of the right family, born of the right lineage, chosen to be a priest. The Bible's going to say, say that priests had special responsibilities. And the Bible goes to, into great detail about what those responsibilities were. But if I could summarize it for you, the priest's responsibilities were essentially this. They were to represent God to the people and represent the people to God. That was their job. They were the intermediary, right? They were the intercessor. They were the conduit between God and people. That's what priests did. Um, priests had a special clothing and they had a special cleansing. So because they worked in the presence of God, they had to dress a certain way and they had to clean themselves in a certain way. The Bible's really clear. And then the last thing, and I think maybe the most important, priests had a special access to God that the average person could not have. So priests, they had a very, very special access to God. In fact, let me just show you something real quick. This is a blueprint, a very basic blueprint of what the tabernacle would have looked like. So here's where people would have entered. And what you'll notice is there was three concentric places of God's presence. And so this was called the outer court. The outer court was essentially the place 
where anyone from the nation of Israel could come. So you could come in here, you could offer sacrifices for your sin, but listen, if you were an average person, this is as close as you could get. You could go no further than right here. That was it. And then there was a place called the holy place. So there was this curtain that was right here, this big old thick curtain. And the holy place was like the second tier. It was like the closest you could get to the presence of God. It was like right here. And only priests were allowed in here, just priests. And what the priests would do is they would basically do priestly duties that would represent the people and represent God, represent the people to God and represent God to the people. But only priests, if you were an average person and you tried to get back here, you would die because you weren't allowed in this room. Uh, this was a place where you were close to God's presence. So priests had a closeness to the presence of God in the way that other people didn't. And then there was another veil, there was another curtain right here, and the Bible says there was an inner room, and this was called the Holy of Holies. And the Holy of Holies was the place where God's presence in its fullness symbolically dwelt. So in the Holy of Holies, there was this thing called the Ark of the Covenant. Anyone hear of the Ark of the Covenant before? Did you ever watch Raiders of the Lost Ark? That thing. Okay, that thing is in here. And basically what that all represents is it represents the full presence of God in the Holy of Holies. Now, here's the thing. Um, the average person was allowed out here, but that's as close as they could get. Priests were allowed in here, and nobody else, nobody was allowed in here. Nobody, except for one person, once a year, for one occasion. And that was it. And the only time that anyone was allowed back here, it was the high priest and he was only allowed back there once a year on something called the Day of Atonement, or the, it was, it's also called Yom Kippur. You maybe have heard of that before. And he would go back here with one singular purpose. And his purpose, when he would go back here, was to, to, uh, to, to offer a sacrifice for the sins of the nation of Israel. Once a year, he would do that. Now, if you can understand all that, I know I just gave you a little bit of a fire hose of information, but if you can understand all of that, you can read through it on your own, this is very important because here's why. When you get to the New Testament, the Bible is going to say that Jesus Christ went on to live a perfect life that nobody else can live. Jesus was sinless. He lived a perfect life that none of us could live. And then the Bible tells us that he went to the cross. And when Jesus went to the cross, the Bible says that he sacrificed himself to atone for the sins of humanity. And the Bible describes to us in Hebrews chapter 4 and Hebrews chapter 12 that Jesus, in so doing, was the true high priest that Jesus was the true high priest who entered into God's presence and he sacrificed and atoned for the sins of people once for all. That all that stuff in the Old Testament was simply a symbol. It was a shadow of something that was gonna happen. And that's that when Christ came, that he became the true sacrifice to atone for the sins of humanity. And the Bible says that he did it once for all. We don't have to keep sacrificing for sin anymore because Jesus was the true atonement for our sin. Now, I'll tell you what the Bible says, and this is amazing. The Bible says that when Jesus died in Matthew chapter 27, there's a small little detail, and it's so important. The Bible says that when Jesus died, when he breathed his last, that everything went dark. Darkness came over everything. And the Bible says one of the other things that happened in Matthew chapter 27 is that this curtain right here, this curtain was ripped from the top to the bottom. Matthew 27 says the moment Jesus died, everything went dark. And that curtain, and that curtain, by the way, in the temple would have been 40 feet tall and four, four inches thick. And the Bible says that thing was ripped from top to bottom, not from the bottom to the top. Now, why is that significant? Here's why it's significant, because it's telling us that when Jesus died, God himself was the one who tore that temple, or tore that veil. Now, why did he tear, tear, tear the veil? Because he was telling us something. Now, what's God telling us? Here's what he's saying. That now, because Jesus has atoned for the sins of humanity, there is a new accessibility into the presence of God that was not previously available to us. That's what he's saying. So why is that important to you? Why is that important to me? Well, here's why. Because when Peter looks at us and he says, you are, a, you are priests, you are priests. Every single one of you are priests. What Peter is saying is he's saying, there are two things that are true about you now. For those of us who follow Christ, here's the first thing. If you're a priest, what's it mean? If, for those of us who follow Jesus, it means this. We are in, baby. That's what it means. We are in. That once, was, once what was previously off limits to us. 
once what was previously unavailable, once where there previously was a barrier, where our sin prohibited us from being, is no longer there. That because Jesus has atoned for our sin, that you and I who follow Jesus, we are in the presence of God. That we now have unlimited, unparalleled, direct access to the holy God of the universe. I'm telling you, this is an amazing thing. I don't know if you've ever really thought about how incredible it is that now, for those of us who follow Jesus, we have unlimited direct access to God. We can speak to God anytime, any place, anywhere. What this means is this. You don't got to go to a place anymore to be in the presence of God. God's presence is available to you wherever you are whether you're in your car or you're at your kitchen table or whether you're at work, you can talk to and interact with and go boldly into the throne room of God anytime. You have a direct act. Your sin is no longer a barrier. You're accepted. God has chosen you and he loves you and your sin isn't a barrier to you knowing him anymore. It's an amazing thing. And the Bible tells us that. We're in. We're in. That's what it means to be a priest. You have a unique access to God that the average person doesn't have because of Jesus Christ. Here's what else it means. It means you don't need a person. You don't need a person to be a conduit to connect you to God. You don't need that. You have Jesus, and you can talk directly to him. I I tell people this all the time. Sometimes people will will come up to me, and they'll say, uh, you know, hey, pastor, uh, because, you know, I'm a pastor. I don't know if you knew that or not. And they'll say, uh, say, hey, pastor, say, hey, can you, uh, you mind throwing up a special prayer for me? I know, you got a, I know you got a direct line to the big man, and I know God hears your prayers in a special way. You pray for the Browns this afternoon? And uh, you know what? I usually tell people, I'll say, sure, I'll pray, I'll pray for anybody. I'll pray for anything. But I, I always assure people, I do not have any special ex- access to God that you don't have. If you're a follower of Jesus, the blood of Christ is our common possession. We both possess the same access. You can go freely to him. Uh, There is no person on this earth who has a privilege over the next person into the access of God because of what Christ has done for us. That's why Peter says, if you're a follower of Jesus, we're all priests. Every single one of us are priests. It means we have access. Do you guys ever experience the joy of having something that was not accessible to you at one time that is now accessible to you? Do you ever experience that? It's an amazing feeling. I remember I couldn't help but think when I was reading this passage, I couldn't help but think of um, this one time. I, so I, I lived in Chicago for a little while. I went to school in downtown Chicago for my undergrad. And one of the cool things about living in downtown Chicago that happened somewhat frequently, and it never happens here in Medina, is, uh, is if I was walking around the city, it was actually a fairly common thing that you would run into a movie set. Like they'd be filming a movie. That has never happened to me here in Medina. But in Chicago, if you're walking around, it was actually, like I said, it was, it was actually somewhat fairly normal that you would run into, they were filming a movie. And you always knew it because there was always like, there was always like 100 people, hundreds of people standing out, and there'd be like a big old fence, and then there'd be security guards, like this big barrier, and then there'd be trailers for the actors, and then you would see the lights and the cameras. And so whenever you would see a movie set, if you were patient, you could actually stop and you could look. And, of course, you weren't allowed in, but if you were, you know, if you were lucky and you were patient, every once in a while, you, you could catch a glimpse of a celebrity. And so you would see someone, you know, you'd see a celebrity. You'd be like, oh, there's, you know, whoever. And uh, so it was kind of neat. And so I remember this one time, my roommate and I were walking home from the library. We were studying at the library. And as we were walking home in downtown Chicago, we came across a movie set. So they were filming a movie. So you could tell that hundreds of people were lined up out there, and there was the fence, and there was security guards. And so we were like, oh, let's go check it out. So we walked over. We asked some people. We said, what, you know, what movie are they, are they filming? And they, they told us. And I, I don't even remember what it was. And we said, uh, we said who's, the, uh, who are, who's the actors? Who's in it? And they said, oh, they said Kevin Costner is the star. And I said, oh, that's cool. I said, he's, you know, he's a good actor. I've seen Dances with Wolves, I think, and, you know, whatever. And uh, so we waited for a few minutes, and we didn't really see anything happening. So we were like, eh, let's go back home. So we started walking home. And <laughs> as we started walking home, my roommate Mind you, my roommate is, to this day, one of my closest friends, and he is one of the craziest and one of the funniest guys I ever met. I just love this guy. And I remember we're walking home, and he said, uh, he, goes, he goes, oh, man, I got a great idea. I said, what's your idea? He goes, you know those um, security guard outfits we have? Which I probably need to explain to you why we had those anyway. So 
Believe it or not, I was actually part of a comedy troupe in college, and so we had access to all of these wardrobes and costumes and props. And so he's like, you know those security guard outfits? I was like, I, I, I think I know where you're going with this. He goes, you know those? He goes, what if we put those on we tried to get in that movie set? And I remember I said, I think that's a bad idea. I think that that's probably illegal, and I don't know. We, we, you know, I was like, if we get in, it's probably going to be a great story, but if we don't, we'll probably get arrested. And he said to me, he goes, either way, it's going to be a good story. I said, good point. I said, let's do it. So, by the way, I'm not recommending any of this to anybody. So we went back. We put on these security outfits. I got to tell you, they're pretty legit. Like, on the back of our jackets, it said security. And then underneath, we had, like, you know, security shirts and radios and the, and the whole thing, you know. And so we, so we started walking back to the, to the movie set. And I remember as we started walking back to the movie set, I started to get nervous. And I was like, dude, I don't think this is going to work. We're going to get caught. And my roommate was like, no, dude. He's like, you just got to pretend like you know what you're doing. He's like, if you pretend like you know what you're doing, no one's going to question you. And I was like, all right. He's like, we're going to give it a try. So we walk up to the movie set, hundreds of people, fence, security guards, the whole bit. And so we walk up, and I'm just thinking, just act like you know what you're doing. So I walk through the crowd. I'm like, excuse me, pardon me, excuse me. You know, we get in there. We get up to the fence. And there's the security guards. And I remember I just thought to myself, don't slow down. Just keep walking. Make eye contact with them. And just act like you know what you're doing. And so I did. I walked up with all the confidence I had. Walked right up there. Looked at the security guard. When we got close to the security guards, I kid you not, this is what the security guards did. They looked at us. They nodded. And then they opened the gate for us. <laughs> and I was like, no way. <laughs> so, so I walked in. And my heart's going crazy, you know. So I walk in past the security guard, and the security guard goes, how's it going, guys? And I just, I just said, it's been a long night. <laughs> I just thought, that sounds like something a legit security guard would say. So I walked in. But no, we got in, and we were in. We were in. And I kid you not, for the next hour and a half, we walked around, and we were looking at the movie set. We got to watch them film. We got to watch the director, like, barking orders at people. I met Kevin Costner. And by meet, I mean, like, I was like, Kevin. And he was like, hey. And that was it. And I was like, we're best friends. You know, it was like, but we were in. And, you know, one of my favorite, one of my favorite things about this whole story, I'm not making this up. It was so cool. One of my favorite things is at one point, my roommate and I were, were behind the, you know, we were behind the barriers and we were looking at the movie set and some of our classmates were on the other side and they saw us and they were like, how did you guys get in there? We're like, yeah, we're in, you're not, you know, it was awesome, incredible thing. But you guys know how awesome that feeling is, you're in. And I'm, here's all I'm saying, if you get this point, here's what the Bible says, if you are a priest, if you follow Jesus, it's not just, you're, you're in and it's not just with a, some kind of celebrity, it's with the God of the universe. You're in with him. And you're forgiven. And you're his son. And you're his daughter. And there's no barrier. That means he's for you. And if he's for you, man, who can stand against you? That means that you, you have a confidence and a strength because you can be with God. You can be in God's presence anywhere. How amazing of a... This should never get old to those of us who follow Jesus that we can talk to the God who created the stars when we're driving in our vehicle. That's unreal. That's unreal. Man, what would it look like if you really owned your identity, that you're a priest, that you are accepted by the God of the universe, that he calls you his own? That's why Peter said, look at Peter's language. You're chosen people. You are God's special possession. Once you weren't a people, now you are the people of God. Once you had received, now you've received. You see what he's saying? He's saying this is, what, this is who you are. You're a priest. You're in. You're in with God. You don't need to prove yourself to him. You don't need to earn your way to him. He's already yours. It's an amazing thing. So what does it mean that you're a priest? It means you're in. It means you are in. We are in. But it also means something else too. I think the consequence of that is it means we go out. Priests are in so they can go out. We experience the presence of God not just so that we could enjoy it for ourselves, which we do, but we also take the presence of God with us as we go out. Remember we talked about priests just a moment ago, and what we said about priests was we said that priests, what their job was is basically to be an intermediary. That's what they were. They, they were a conduit and a catalyst 
to the people in, out here to, to, to who God was. So they had a unique access to God, but then they also went out to the people. So they, 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 they were in, but then they went out and they, they brought the presence of God and they would connect God to, to, or connect people to the presence of God. In fact, I think it's interesting. Um, did you know that the word for priest in the Latin language, so when they, when they were trying to translate the Bible into Latin, the word that they chose for priest was the word bridge. That's what it means in the Latin, it's bridge. That gets a really appropriate word because they said, what does a priest do? They're like, well, a priest, is a, a priest is a bridge. He is a conduit and a catalyst. He or she is a conduit and a catalyst of God's presence into the lives of other people. They are to come into the presence of God and represent people to God and they are to come to people and represent God to people. That was what their job was to do. So what does that mean about you if you're a priest? Well, here's what it means. It means that you're in. We are in with the God of the universe. But it means we go out. It means that we're to take God's presence with us wherever we go. That the way that God wants to unleash his power in your life, through your life, and in the world is he wants to unleash you as a priest. And he wants you to own this identity. Some of you are like, well, how do I do that? How do I do that? How do I own that? How do I live out this identity of being a priest? Let me just give you a couple of thoughts. Uh, it's interesting, right here in 1 Peter, he says that we are, the holy, we are a holy pri royal priesthood. He says that we might declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness and into his wonderful light. So what is it? how do we take God's presence to people? How do we do that? Well, here's one way. The Bible says that those of us who are followers of Jesus, we are to declare the praises of God who has taken us out of darkness and has brought us into light. I actually like the way some other translations say it. You might have a different translation, and it might say we are to declare the excellencies of him who has called us out of darkness and he's brought us into light. So what does that mean? I think what it means is this. Is it means that for those of us who follow Jesus, one of the ways that we take God to other people is we open our mouths. And we declare the excellencies of God to people. I think practically what that means is to our coworkers and our friends and our family members and our neighbors that we, that we are not shy in opening our mouths and declaring the excellencies of who God is. Now, we've talked about this before. Not pushy, not arrogant, not belligerent, not argumentative, none of those things. But with boldness that we are not ashamed to open our mouth and speak about what God has done in our lives. That we're not ashamed to do that, no matter who the audience is. I think that's one of the ways we live out our priesthood. That's one of the way God wants to work his power in and through your life, is through declaring what God has done for you. And by the way, I think that doing this shouldn't be too hard for those of us who follow Jesus. I think sometimes we make it harder than it should be. Because quite honestly, just think about this for a minute. One of the things that's true about you and is true about me and every person on this planet, we talk most easily, most often, and most passionately about the things that our hearts are most affectionate for. That's just true. So, so let's, for example, let's just say you and I were in a car together for two hours. We were going on a trip somewhere, and we, we don't, you know, maybe we don't know each other very well, and we're riding together in a car. My guess is that in that two-hour span of time, I want to find out what's important to you. And you're going to find out what's important to me. Why? Because we most easily, most frequently, most passionately talk about the things we're most affectionate about. We do. So if you're like crazy about golf, if that's the thing you love, you're like, I love golf. I just live for golf. My guess is I'm going to find that out about you in that two-hour drive. Either you're going to volunteer that information to me or I'm going to find out because I'm going to ask you questions. And I'm just going to discover that's true about you. And you're going to find out some stuff about me. Why? Because I'm going to easily talk about the things I'm passionate about. So what are you going to find out about me? You're going to find out about my wife and my kids. You're probably going to find out somewhere in there that I really love bacon. That's going to show up somewhere, right? And you know what else you're going to find out about me? I love Jesus and that Jesus has transformed my life and he's continuing to transform my life. Why? Because that's so important to me. It's the most important thing in my life. It's the most valuable thing, and we most easily, frequently speak about the things that matter the most to us. And so here's all I'm saying is the Bible says that God wants to use you, and that when, you, when you're willing to declare the excellencies of God to, to other people about what he's done in your life, God wants to use that to help people see God in you and draw them to himself. So here, here's a, just a hypothetical example of what that might look like. Let's say you're at work. You're talking with a coworker. And the topic of marriage comes up. 
And let's say that, that that, for whatever reason, that topic resonates with you because God has done an amazing thing in your marriage. So what are you going to do? Well, maybe it's an opportunity for you to declare the excellencies of God. So maybe you say something like this. You might say, you know, it's really crazy. My wife and I or my husband and I, you know, our first couple years of marriage, honestly, they were really challenging. And we almost didn't make it. In fact, I didn't think we were going to make it. We were getting ready to file for divorce. But then we, we as a last-ditch effort, we ended up going to this church. And we ended up getting connected to this group. And we talked about God's idea for marriage. And you say, you know what? This might sound so crazy. I might sound like a religious freak to you. And this might sound so corny to you. But I'm just being honest with you, man. God, God saved my marriage. And, he is con- and we're not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. He is continuing to transform us. What did you just do when you do that? That takes some boldness to do that. But what did you just do? You are declaring the excellencies of God and what he's done in your life. And anyone can do that. Now, whether or not they receive that or want to talk about that, that's fine. That's, you know, it's fine. They don't want to talk about it. They don't want to talk about it. But what are you doing? You are doing priestly duties. Here's, here's another thing the Bible says. It says that priests are to offer spiritual sacrifices. So if you're a priest, what does that mean? It means that you are to represent God to people. You're to bring God to people. And how do you do that? You offer spiritual sacrifices. So you're like, well, how do I do that? Does that mean I, I sacrifice a small animal? Is that what you're saying? And the answer is yes. That's what you need to do. You need to actually, no, that's not what you do, right? We don't need to, we don't need to offer uh, animals any longer for sacrifices because Jesus sacrificed himself once for all for the sins of humanity. So thank God we don't have to do that stuff anymore. But that doesn't mean that our lives can't be sacrifices for the sakes of others. In fact, the Bible actually, look at this. This is what Hebrews 13 says. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. So there it is again. The Bible says when we are willing to open our mouth and praise God before other people, that that is a sacrifice that is pleasing to God. That's what priests do. Uh, Look what else the Bible says. And don't forget to do good and share with others, for with such sacrifices, God is pleased. You see what the Bible says? When we do good things for other people, and when we're willing to share and be generous in the name of Jesus, the Bible says that that actually is something that pleases God, that it's a sacrifice. Why? Because you are showing people what God is like. You are showing people what God is like. It's interesting. I like the way uh, Paul says it in Romans 15. He says that God gave me the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God. Now, what's he saying here? Here's what Paul's saying. When I help other people know and follow Jesus, that is my priestly duty, and that is my offering to God. So what if you own that? What if you are a follower of Jesus and you believe that was true about you? What could that look like? Well, maybe it would look like this. Maybe you have that family member and you opened your mouth on one occasion and you declared the excellencies of God and they didn't shut you down. And let's say that a couple weeks later, they actually start asking you some questions. And let's say that they actually start coming to you frequently and they start saying things like, I know you're religious, but what do you think about this? What if you at one point said, you know what, I'm a priest, I'm a priest. And so you know what, I I can be a conduit and a catalyst for connecting this person to God. And so what if you said to that person, you know what, It seems like you're really interested in this stuff. And it seems like maybe God's doing something. Would you want to maybe meet together? Maybe we get together once a week over coffee and we could actually start talking about some of this stuff. We could read a book together. We could read the Bible. Would you want to come to my life group sometime? And we could, we could, it's, you know, it's not, it's not that weird. We do some weird stuff, but it's not that weird. And we can, we can, we can talk about what we talked about. How would you like to do that? You can do that. You can do that. You know why? Because you're a priest. You're a priest, and God wants to use us in that way. He wants to unleash priests. One other thing I'll mention too, and I think this one's really important. I think when the Bible says that we are a holy priesthood, that means one other thing. It means we take, we take God to people. I think another thing it means, it means we take people to God, and, and, and here's what I mean by that. I think that means that part of what it means to be a priest is that we pray for people. We pray for people. I was, I was really struck studying this idea of priests this week, and I was really struck by this one thing the Bible said. The Bible said that priests had to wear special clothing. They had to wear an, eph- an ephod. An ephod, by the way, if you've never heard of that, think like ancient Snuggy. That's what it was. And on the ephod, they had to wear a breastplate. It sounds really weird to you, I know. 
but they had to wear a breastplate. And on the breastplate, there was 12 stones that represented the 12 tribes of Israel. And they would take these names into the presence of God on their heart. I just think that's a beautiful picture because you know what the Bible's telling us? That as priests, you know what we do? We take people on our hearts. We take the names of people on our heart and we bring them into the presence of God. It's part of what we do. And so when you, when, you, when you have that friend who's going through a messy divorce, they're going through a hard time, what do you do as a priest? You take that person on your heart and you bring them before the presence of God. You lift them up. You, you take people to God. You take God to people, but you take people before God. You say, God, they're going through a hard time. I want to lift them up. Would you, give, would you give her the strength? Give him the strength, God. Help them. That's what you do. That's what priests do. When you have that family member who is angry with God for whatever reason, you put that on your heart. You take them to God. That is what priests do. It's part of what we do. The Bible says that's what Jesus does for us. Jesus intercedes with us on behalf of the Father. He takes us in his heart before his Father. We do the same. Bottom line, you're a priest. That's what you are. If you're a follower of Jesus, that is who you are. All those other labels might be things you do. You might be an engineer. You might be an artist. You might, but here... Underneath all of that, more foundationally, you're a priest. And so I'm going to ask the band to come up. And as they do, I want you just to consider as we worship and sing, what would it look like for you if you owned that? If you really came to a place where you believe that, you're accepted by God, you are in with the God of the universe. You, have, you can be in his presence anytime, any moment because of Christ and what he's done for you. And what if as a result of that, you started to believe God wants to use me as a bridge to people that he's placed in my life. Think about the people that God has placed in your life. What would it look like if you started to believe about yourself? I'm a bridge that God has placed me here because he wants me to bring God to them and he wants me to bring them to God. How can I do that? Here's what I believe. I believe that if 20%, 20% of us got a hold of this, it would revolutionize the city. I think it would turn upside down because God wants to unleash his power and he wants to do it through priests. Let's pray together. Well, God, I just want to say thanks that you're our high priest. Thank you that, uh, that Jesus, because of your sacrifice for our sins, that we can come boldly into your presence, that we are in. I pray that we never get old, that we never get stale. And uh, that's an amazing thing to think about. Jesus, you're the ultimate bridge builder. I think about what you did and about how you are the one who was a, con- you were a conduit and a catalyst to our relationship with God. And Father, because of that, we can freely go to to God. So thank you for being the ultimate bridge builder. Thank you for sacrificing for us so that we could be in your presence. And so would you help us to not only rejoice in what you've done for us, but help us to participate in what you've done for us, that we might be bridge builders ourselves, that we might follow in the same pattern of our Lord and our Savior, who sacrificed himself, who gave of himself, who enjoyed the presence of God, but then brought the presence of God to those who are far from God. Help us to do the same. And so we ask these things, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.